Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. ClarkDeals.com is where you see ways to save your money. Coming up in just 20 minutes in today's Clark-rageous moment, you're looking for a home, maybe your credit's not the greatest. I want to tell you the ways that people may try to rip you off when you're searching for a home. Special things for you to be aware of. And coming up a half hour from now, if you are thinking you want to retire someday, where are the best places in America for you to look at retiring? And where are the worst? And I'll tell you what criteria they judge best and worst coming up in just 30 minutes. I'm going to tell you about something that may creep you out but is going to make air travel safer. Delta Airlines is the first airline in the United States to follow airlines elsewhere in the world with facial recognition software where they scan your face and in the experiment that Delta is using at one airport in Minneapolis, your face will be scanned when you go to check a bag. Now think about the value of this for an airline knowing who actually presented that bag with 100% certainty. In addition, it means that you will be able to do the entirety of the baggage check-in, which for the airline is like yippee because it reduces their labor costs. Because instead of them having to verify that you are the person checking that bag that could have something, well, not good in it, now they'll know absolutely with the facial recognition. I give you an idea, we are trailing the world in this. You may think it's fine we're trailing the world in this, but there's a technology already being used in a number of places where you board the plane yourself with no airline gate agent there checking your boarding pass or in places where they have to see ID that you go up to a reader that reads your face or your fingerprints, already knows that you are a passenger on that flight, and opens a plexiglass kind of gate, and you walk onto the plane. The idea is to know exactly who's there, who's going on the plane, what bags are going on the plane, and who put them there, and... All these technologies are really at a point pretty much a perfection. It's more about you and I accepting this and that the various providers work the bugs out. Sandra is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. You are looking out and sticking up for your husband. I am. I am. He has been approved and accepted for a loan forgiveness plan, and he works for a nonprofit in a 501c3 as a psychologist in a very underserved population. I guess I'm wondering what what you're thinking about the rumors that this program is going to disappear and that the actual approvals will be invalid. Um, I did see on New York Times that Betsy DeVos has actually filed paperwork to make this happen, and I guess I'm wondering if you think it's going to be retroactive. No, they. Uh, my understanding is it cannot be made retroactive um, for 
a decision to eliminate student loan forgiveness. It was originally done by statute. And so this is something that has been around for a long time. And I would be very, very surprised because you talk about people that are college graduates or have advanced degrees. They tend to be politically active. And the congressmen and senators don't want to bring trouble onto themselves. And I could see if they said, we're not going to do this anymore moving forward. But the things to worry about in life, the time may come that I will be found to be naive. But I would say at this point, don't lose sleep over retroactive elimination of student loan forgiveness. You know, people properly qualified for student loan forgiveness programs, if they were certified as being eligible, I know there's been some people, and you refer to the New York Times story about people who were in Never Never Land because the Department of Education seems to have lost their certifications or now questions their certifications or whatever. I think that that is not going to lead where you're fearing, where your husband, who's qualified properly, is working his 10 years off, is suddenly going to find that the joke's on him, and he is no longer eligible and no such program exists. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that, obviously. <laughs> it sounds exactly like what I want to hear, but no, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, and by the way, again, I, I may prove to be naive, but I think there's a lot of time people new in office make bold statements and say they're going to do this, that, or the other without really thinking about all the implications. And I think this may be one of those cases. Well, let's hope so. That's great. That's reassuring. I appreciate your time. All right. Thank you very much. And I hope that your husband has really been able to put his education to work serving others. Well, he has. He definitely has. Thanks so much, Howard. Sure. Take care. Joseph joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Joseph. Great, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Joseph. What's going on? uh, I I first have to thank you just for some of the advice. I I was fortunate enough to hear from you while I was in the military, and it has really put some pieces in my life that have really put me in a good place. So I just, I have to thank you for that. Well, thank you for your service. Which branch? Army. And how many years did you serve us? Just four active and two reserve. Well, I am grateful to you doing that in an all-volunteer military, putting your life at risk for our nation's freedom. Thank you. So, Joseph, Um, how can I serve you today since you did so much to serve me for six years? Thank you. Well, I I have an interesting position where I am. I have a job right now where I make just under 40000 in Denver. The job is fantastic. It gives me uh, lots of uh, flexibility. The work environment is excellent. But I'm having a hard time deciding on, uh, I really love to travel, and I'm trying to figure out if I want to do that later in life or even now. Should I try to strive higher to find, to find a higher income, or is 40000 for a reasonable amount, if that makes sense? So you mean you can continue to earn that and just see the country as you wish and have no permanent address? Is that what you're thinking of doing? 
I, I still have a permanent address, but I'm, I'm just thinking of I wouldn't be able to travel with the full flexibility that I want without my or if I kept my current employment. And if I were to quit that, I'm wondering if I were to go back into the the job market, would it be unreasonable to try and find a similar type job with, you know, like I said, around forty thousand, um, and and still have flexibility? Because I haven't, I've only had this one job since I've got out of the military in two thousand eight. So you are an extremely loyal guy. You've been at the same job for nine years now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's all right. Wow. And so you want to be able to stay employed, but at the same time have the flexibility to travel as you wish, and you can do that in this job? I can, I can do a fair amount, but I'm wondering if I were to take maybe a year off or something to do, you know, those mini retirement ideas, would it be crazy to give up the job I have now to, that has that flexibility? Um, and would I, you know... How much do they love you there? Yeah. Quite a bit. They call me the Swiss Army Knife. Okay. So if you're valuable to them in a market where a lot of companies are begging for workers, I bet if you went to them and said, I'd like to take a leave for six months without pay and just go spend some time exploring the country, six months, most employers can get their arms around and they will, if they really value you, they'll have that job available for you when you get back. You ask for a year you're going to have a hard time having them not write you out of their script. Gotcha. But you could see a lot and do a lot. Six months of just being able to explore, that's a lot of time. Okay. That's an excellent idea. I never thought about that. So I would go to them and say, you know, I, I they know how loyal you are, and say it's just something you're at a point in your life you need to do. And I think they'll be... Uh, I could, they could prove me wrong, but if you're Mr. Swiss Army Knife to them, I bet they'll want you, and they would accommodate that. That's a great idea. So give it a try, and once again, thank you, Joseph, for your six years to our nation. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mark. Hi, Clark. Clark, how are you doing? Great, thank you. Mark, how can I be of service to you today? Well, I was listening to one of your uh, programs, and it was about allowances for the kids, and it got me to thinking about when we were bringing our kids up, we used what I called a IOU bucket. And the IOU bucket was if they wanted something, like let's say a cell phone, they uh, would sit down with us, tell us what they wanted, and we would, you know, make sure it was the right one and everything. And so we would draw a contract up and the contract would state that, you know, they were going to pay the phone back so much each month until it was paid off. And if they didn't make a payment that the, you know, the service would be cut off. And so we uh, would also, it would allow like the kids to come to us and say, you know, I, I can't make the payment that month or that time period or whatever it was. And you would say, okay, well, we'll either turn the service off or you can mow the yard. Or, you know, we, we would try to work out whatever we could to try to make them, you know, think about, you know, what they had and what they were trying to achieve and keep. This is a really neat idea. You'd have to stick to it as a parent. You'd have to stick yeah. to your guns. But the idea yeah. is that... It's like what they used to joke about that 
if you couldn't pay for your restaurant meal that you were going to be washing dishes in a restaurant, that kind of idea with creating a parent-to-child loan that is paid back, and if they can't, there's the choice of consequences. That's really, really smart. How'd you come up with that? Just trying to find ways to have your kids, you know, understand money through life. There's different times that you have problems and you, you got to work through them. It's not just the end of the world. I'm going to lose my service. How do I keep my service? I have to keep my service. So it made the kids think about what they needed to do to correct whatever the action was. I remember there was somebody I profiled in my TV work who had gone to an affiliate of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, and they were in a five-year payment plan to pay off their overdue debts. And it was just killing her that she was facing five years of payments. So what did she do? She went and got a part-time job and paid off the debts in less than two years. Right. And was free and clear. It's the same kind of idea that... If you need to, you create a circumstance where you're able to meet the obligation, just like you have been able to teach your kids when they were young. Correct. Well, and that's the way life is. What happens to us all the time is is things don't come out the way that we think they're going to. And you've got to be able to, you know, learn and know that that's what you got to do to, to keep going. Well, I appreciate that suggestion. I wonder how many parents now are going to adopt what we're going to call the Mark Plan. (laughs) Sounds great. I hope a lot of people do it. It works out good. Thank you very much for that suggestion. It was funny. I was talking with a college student just last week. She was pretty fired up about this, how I need to give a pep talk to parents about not just giving fancy electronics to their kids, because they think that that's just the way life's going to be, that I want this, so therefore I'll have it, or the car or whatever it is that a kid just thinks just comes out of the sky. And so making people earn or pay for whatever they get, they appreciate it more, and they have a better understanding how much effort, how much work, how many hours of labor are required for something to materialize in your life rather than just, bam, like the magic wand, here it appears. Better idea to teach kids, if you want something, takes a lot of effort, a lot of expense, and are you willing to meet that standard? Today's Clark Rageous moment is so key and important for you. If you are a first-time home buyer or looking to buy a home, maybe after a prior foreclosure or something like that, please pay close attention to what I've got to say in today's Clark Rage. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. There are so many offers being made available right now for rent-to-own on a home or another thing called contract for deed. Be aware that these things are stacked very heavily in favor of the investor whose home you're trying to buy and almost never work out for you as a buyer. If you're in a situation where you cannot qualify for traditional financing, doing a contract for deed 
is not the answer. You may not even have that term said to you till you get to the lawyer's office. But once that starts being bandied around, you say, thanks, but no thanks, I'm out of here. In reality, the FHA loan program has very, very favorable terms for you to be able to qualify for a mortgage for a first home or a subsequent one, even if you had past difficulties with credit. I'd rather you spend your time rehabbing your credit and then being able to buy a home under the FHA loan program than doing any of these sleazy rent-to-own or contract deed homeowner offers. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go find all the bargains. Here's a question. Where's the best bargain for you to go when it's time for you to retire? Could it be just the cost of living you look at? Well, there are surveys every year of where the places with the lowest cost of living and bank rate has their annual survey of the best and worst places to live. So interestingly enough, the lowest cost price of living, cost of living in the United States is Mississippi. But in terms of the best place to retire in the country, Mississippi is ranked far from it, 41st out of 50 states. Second lowest cost of living, Arkansas, but ranks 48 in terms of best and worst places to retire. Oklahoma, third in cost of living, 43rd in terms of best place to retire. So that's 43rd out of 50. So that's really on the list of the worst places. What are they looking at that has the overall picture of where you should be looking to live? Well, the quality of health care for people that are in retirement age is extremely important. And so the quality of health care can take a state that even has a high cost of living and put it near the top of the heap. But they do weather, health care, crime, taxes, culture, and a couple of other categories that are mixed together to come up with the overall best, which, by the way, they crunch the data, ranks New Hampshire number one in the United States, 40th in cost of living, number four in health care, number three in crime, number seven in tax, number six in culture. Take all those things, it comes in number one overall. But number two is really in these days, Colorado. And Colorado has a lower cost of living, has very high quality weather, high quality health care, and uh, mid of the pack on crime, relatively low taxes compared to other places. If you live in Colorado, you're like, what are you talking about? And does well in category after category. 
Who else makes the cut? Maine, Iowa, Minnesota, Virginia, Massachusetts, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Idaho make the top 10 list. And think about where they principally are in the North, and a lot of them, well, Virginia's not in the North, almost. And a lot of them, you think about the cold weather climates there in Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, in the heart of the Midwest. So take it for what you will. We have a link to the full list at Clark.com and see where you can best fulfill your retirement dreams. For me, probably be state number 12. Arizona. Why? Second best in the country for weather. Josh joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Josh, you're going through a tough transition in your life. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's an honor to get to speak with you. Well, you're kind, and I hope that I can be of some help to you. (laughs) All right. So uh, basically what I'm trying to figure out is being in this situation where I'm uh, about to be handed uh, finalized papers of my divorce, I'm actually in a weird place where, um, sadly, before that took place, um, my spouse, who was exiting, decided to max out our credit cards. And oh. I was actually in the middle of purchasing a home that uh, I had a loan underwritten, and everything was just like, pick your house and, you know, go for it. And uh, uh, so in the process of all that, I stopped everything and just started working on uh, you know, of course, first trying to consolidate with my wife to uh, fix things. But after um, all that had taken place, the only thing I've done so far was to go to national debt consolidation and try to consolidate all those credit cards, which, I mean, the payments have dropped tremendously to uh, $254 a month when I was paying well over 380 a month to just keep everything afloat. So I try to do some research on my own. I've been listening to your show for a couple of years now, and I'm just like trying to take it apart and figure it out on my own. But now I'm at the point where I'm like have bankruptcy floating around in my head and, and get a second job and just all these different things. Right. And, and did the two of you have kids too? Yeah, I do. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old that I have full custody of. So I'm also... Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So you have had your marriage disintegrate, you are raising the children, and your estranged spouse ruined the finances on the way out the door. Correct. My goodness. I will tell you this. That's a lot to be thrown on you all at once. (laughs) And you you will get through it. You will be able to handle it because of strength you'll have that you don't realize you have and support you'll have from family and friends that Absolutely. you'll be so thankful is there. Absolutely. So I, it's so much to deal with. All right, and, and so on the finances and her leaving a trail of debts and all that, go to the local affiliate of NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. Okay. 
and you'll be able to sit down with them generally that's free or teensy tiny money to sit down with them they'll give you a bunch of pages of paperwork to fill out so they can see your whole situation and then they will if they can develop for you negotiating with your creditors a reasonable payment cycle for you awesome or if they can't they'll tell you that and they'll tell you that bankruptcy might be where you need to look awesome but it is a legitimate way for you to get your arms around this because right now you've got to heal emotionally you've got two kids you you're going to be raising and what you don't need is the added stress of all these bills all over the place yeah it's getting to me that's why i i had to try to see if i could get to talk to you and and get some advice on so again it's nfcc.org and i'd love you to to go to them meet with them and then let me know if that has been a helpful path to you or not to see if i have other suggestions that might serve you awesome i want to ask you something else too I'm assuming you have good family and friends support. Do you Absolutely. have what you need right now in that area? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm uh, thankfully my parents let me come stay with our bo- with my boys until everything was finalized and and help me financially to get where I can with what I can. But it's just really overwhelming and understood. And, uh, okay. They don't come from a line of understanding finances very well themselves so i can't really be coached by them in that area and so well just be that just be that rock as best you can for those boys oh absolutely and i want to wish you the best and on the finances those are just details once you come up with a plan and then you can concentrate where you need to be which is on your own self and those kids barry is with us on the clark howard show hello barry how are you doing i'm fine clark how are you great thank you you have a question no one has asked me in probably three years Hmm. okay i'm I'm glad you're asking it i don't know that i'll give any better answer than i did three years ago though okay well i've heard you uh on a several occasions favorably mentioned the a couple of cell phone carriers that rely heavily on Wi-Fi for their infrastructure. And I'm in the info security industry myself, so I'm well aware of vulnerabilities of relying especially on public hotspots. And like when I travel, I, uh, especially with anything sensitive, I avoid any Wi-Fi. I'll use my cellular connection whenever I can. But I'm wondering how these cell phone carriers, if they're relying so much on Wi-Fi for their um, functioning, how they can avoid... Well, I don't know how they work. Are they using a lot of uh, public hotspots? Well, this this is a great question, and this is going to become more front of mind based on the new joint venture between Comcast and Charter that are both going to offer to their customers... Mm-hmm. Um, wireless service, and they're going to rely mostly on your calls and your data use and your texting and everything you do with apps going over Wi-Fi instead of going over the traditional public cellular network. Okay. So the deal with them, and were you specifically thinking about 
that joint venture? Were you thinking about Republic Wireless and... And Google Fi. Okay, Project Fi. All right. So in the case of... Let me deal first with the Charter and Comcast thing, because you'll hear a lot about them throughout the summer with what they're doing. My understanding is that the Wi-Fi hotspots they'll be using are their own. That the cable operators have been putting in place a lot of public space Wi-Fi that is their proprietary Wi-Fi offering. Okay. And that that's what they'll be using as the principal background backbone for their cellular service provision. And when you're outside of their hotspots that they're going to cooperatively share, that then you'll go over Verizon's network. Oh, okay. Now, um, so you would know better than I would how secure that is. Or not, right. Right. So let's talk about um, republicwireless.com, which was the originator of all this. And they've done such an amazing thing where they're changing this little company out of North Carolina is changing the way the entire cell phone industry worldwide thinks about how to provide service. So with them, there's a little green bar that appears on the top of your phone screen when you are on a secure Wi-Fi network handling your calls, data, text, and apps. Oh, okay. And other than that, you are on the regular cellular network. So the way they do it is, because they're like the poor man's cellular, is the Wi-Fi that you go on are Wi-Fi networks that you know and trust, like your own at home. Okay, you configure the ones to use. Right. Project Fi, on the other hand, Google's thing, you are trusting Google to vet the Wi-Fi networks that you'll be part of. Oh, okay. So I I hope that my explanation of all three services is as accurate as it can be. Because, well, again, unlike you, Barry, I am not a techie. Well, it clears up a lot. I had thought, just because of the absence of information, I, had, I assumed that it was using public hotspots, like would you go buy your favorite coffee shop or, or, or whatever that, that had those. And uh, I would be very um, queer, uh, weary, wary to rely on doing anything secure or, or dependable across anybody else's unvetted Wi-Fi, but if I'm able to pick which ones they're using, for example, with uh, Republic or others, and and there is some vetting going on, then it's not totally just relying on all public available Wi-Fis, and that's a lot safer than I expected. And you brought up a point, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard me say, I do not use public Wi-Fi for anything except simple surfing. Because right, the risk too. involved yep. with right. someone snooping and intercepting passwords and the rest, and I would discourage anybody from using public Wi-Fi for anything of a sensitive nature. Kenny's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kenny. Hello, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Kenny. You got a question about your home and money you owe. Is that right? Right. I've got a home 
I financed in the early 2000s at 6%. I only owe about 36000 Nobody really wants to refinance that. If they do, the fees are too high to really make it worth your while. I've got an RV at 4.5% with 10 years left on it and a car at a little over 2 and two third percent and I owe about two years on that. My question is, should I roll all that in the house? I could get like a 10-year loan on the house and uh, just have more money to invest and have a lower overall payment. So I wouldn't put the car in it because you're not going to beat 2.6%. Right. But it, how much do you owe on the RV? It's about 32000 Wow, so you owe almost the same on the RV as you owe on the house. Right. So that still only takes you to sixty-eight grand, which makes it tough to overcome the refi costs. Right. I'm looking at everybody's about three or four thousand dollars. So that's why I mean, I'm not struggling now with anything, and I invest in you know, a Ross four hundred one k, and just should leave well enough alone. Or yeah, I think I would with this uh, exception. Whenever you have any extra money, put it towards paying off on the six percent mortgage. Okay, don't worry about any of the others. Yeah, because yeah, your RV loan at 4.5, it's very reasonable. And the car loan is better yet. So the only loan, if you're trying to get out of debt quicker or at a more efficient rate, would be to pay extra towards the loan balance. But your loan balance on your home is so low that the 6% doesn't matter a whole lot. Right. My only thinking really was is not really to get out of debt and all that. It was just to invest more now, I guess, get more time because I was really behind on my retirement savings. And uh, that was my only thinking, if that matters any. I, you know, I don't know because the car loan has how many years left? Just under two years. So taking that back to 10, that would just drive me crazy. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I, I would leave things as they are in this case. There are times... There are so many times that I wish so badly someone would get around to refinancing. They're just leaving money on the table. In your case, you have relatively low debt and not much time left with it. So I would just pay as agreed. All right. Well, thanks very much for your help. Okay. Best to you. And I'm glad you're doing that Roth 401k. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is where you find me on the web, and ClarkDeals.com is where you find the bargains that we dig up for you each and every day. Coming up a half hour from now, banking is going through such a radical transformation, and we tend to be creatures of habit with the bank. So if you make the right call up front who you're with, that sure does help. I want to give you some guidance on that and where you should put your money, and maybe it'll be a place you can just leave it. How about your money leaving you? So the stats show that depending on whose survey you believe, somewhere around two-thirds to 75% of Americans are going to need some form of long-term care someday. And the problem is that you got maybe a a third to a quarter of us that are never going to need it. And with all the priorities in life, buying a long-term care insurance policy, which is kind of a messed up market right now anyway, is probably an expense too great 
for you to look at. This has become one of those areas that there is no list. I can say, do this, do this, do this, do this. So it's something I need to make sure you are aware of. Because what happens in most cases is someone will need care. You don't have the resources for it. And you become dependent on the federal state Medicaid program. The Medicaid program, not Medicare, Medicaid ends up providing care for people in the assisted living and nursing home facilities that will accept Medicaid patients and becomes the payer of last resort. And the reason it's the payer of last resort is you have to impoverish yourself first. So the hard part is if you are not rich and you're not poor, you're part of the great middle, how are you going to get this done? It is really hard. Let me tell you something freaky weird. Do you know there are people that are moving on cruise ships? Cruise lines hate for anybody to know this. But people are moving on cruise ships and just buying a year's worth of bookings on a ship And then the cruise line takes care of them like an assisted living facility would, but at a much lower cost. That's an alternative that people in the middle class are doing to Medicaid. People are going to Central America to be able to have assisted living at a much lower cost than the United States or Mexico. People are being taken care of by their families. But if you can afford it, you should consider sometime around age 60 buying a long-term care insurance policy. They're not perfect, far from it. But what they'll do, depending on the policy you buy, they'll provide for three to five years of care for you when you need it. And then you don't have to spend down what you have. And then the most controversial thing, oh, I have just a small, small guide to buying long-term care insurance on Clark.com. Just a few simple steps and companies you should look at. And then the most controversial thing people do, they set up their money in a way that they look poor when they're not so they can qualify for Medicaid. But the states are on to that, and there are what are known as look-back periods, tend to be a couple to three years, and there's a lot involved if the goal is to make sure that you have your long-term care paid for by the state, and at the same time, not have to go through all your own money first. Again, that's a controversial practice. Brenda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brenda. Hey, how are you doing? Great, thank you, Brenda. You want to know how to be a great negotiator. Yes, for an apartment. So are you currently a renter or are you going to rent a place that's new to you? New, new renter. Right, so how the apartment rental market works has really morphed, really changed how rents are set. 
do you have a sense of a general area of a town that you want to live in? Yes. Do you have a specific building or apartment that you know you want to live in? Yes. Okay. Are you willing to consider two or three or four different buildings in that area, or will you only go to that one place? Um, I'll consider at least one more, but there's there's not many more than that in the area. There's only about two. Okay. The way apartment rents are set now is by computer modeling. They use programs much like airlines use to set the price of an airline seat. Are you looking at a one-bedroom or two-bedroom? Two. So let's say in the apartment building you're looking at, there are 200 two-bedroom apartments. It's possible that there's 100 different rents being paid in those 200 apartments now. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. That doesn't surprise me just from the research and the questions I've asked. And, and I, I can see different prices on different sites. So I, I kind of knew that, but I didn't know how to put myself in the best position possible. So flexibility is the core and the key now with apartment rents. And the rents can change even within the same day on the same apartment unit in the same building because of the computer modeling, that they may hit a certain date in a month and they're like, oops, chances are rising. We're not going to rent that apartment. Let's offer a better price on it. And it won't be a human making that decision. It's the computer modeling making that decision. So what I'd like for you to do, if there's just a couple of buildings, is that you try to get on a first-name basis with the rental manager at each of the buildings and say, here's what I'm looking at and I got to hit a lower rent point, even if you don't. You say you got to hit a lower rent point than what they're quoting right now. Is there a particular day of the week that they're more often to cut rents on a unit? Or is there an identical unit, another part of the building, where you could give me a lower rent potentially? I see. Because that is one of the big changes is that before the computer modeling the two bedrooms were pretty much, or one bedrooms, or whatever size it was, same floor plan, it would just be a standard rent. Right, yeah. And that's over. I see that. So that's where you have a computer calling the shots, but an experienced rental manager knows how the computer calls the shots. And that's why that's the person that they win and you win if they're able to occupy an additional unit, which is how they're judged and you're able to get a better deal for your year's lease because they were able to guide you how their pricing system works. And do you know how they compare market price to what a special they're offering you? Well, that's just made-up marketing stuff. Well, that was part of the lease breakage terms that you would have to pay an additional amount from what they would normally rent it versus what you're paying based on the number of months, you know, either that you are there or that you leave. So they're saying if they say that market rent is, let's say, I'm going to use simple numbers, 1000 and they rent to you for 800 and you break the lease, they would then recapture the $200 for each month, taking it back to market rent. Yes. Okay, that's diabolical and something no one has ever mentioned to me. That's what concerned me before agreeing to. So you, the only way that is, uh, I hate to use the word fair, but it fits in this case, is if it's stated to you up front what that would be. And then the fact that they're saying that the market rate is blah, 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 
You just have to know up front that's what you've agreed to, and that would be the pre-calculated penalty that you would pay. Yes, they told me the amount. They sure did. Okay, so you just got to stay in there for that length of term so you don't get hit by that. Okay, okay. So you're doing, I can tell, you've been doing the kind of work that I encourage people to do by trying to dissect building by building, unit by unit. Yes, and I just wanted to go over it with you and make sure I haven't missed anything. What's the, just out of curiosity, high to low, what's the difference in range you found for the two bedrooms? Um, About $60 less than what I was quoted. Okay, I would have expected the difference to be larger than that, but that's still over the course of a year, $720 that's in your pocket that wouldn't be otherwise if you weren't trying to shop the market. So stay at it. Maybe you can get a bigger spread than that. Markeisha is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Do I gather congratulations are in order? Yes, they are. Thank you. (laughs) Why am I congratulating you? I want a brand new car. (laughs) Wow. For real? Not some phony baloney thing? As far as I know, it is official. I still can't believe it, but I want a brand new car, yeah. (laughs) Wow. What kind of car did you win? It's a Nissan Sentra. How about that? Yes. (laughs) Wow. So that's great news. How can I be of help? Well, okay. So I've I've never won anything as substantial as this, obviously. And prior to getting this car, both of my previous cars were um, from an auction. So I'm not really familiar with dealing with dealerships and signing on dotted lines or anything like that. But luckily, this car win is also going to include the taxes. They're going to pay for the taxes. Um, What? Yes. (laughs) And you're sure this is legitimate above board the real deal? (laughs) It's been on the radio. And yes, people have taken pictures and everything. It's official. But, yeah, so my question, though, is uh, when it comes to tax time next year, I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, if this is going to be used as a gift or what should I be expecting for tax time? Yeah, so they will issue you what's known as a 1099, Mm -hmm. and they will hit you with a manufacturer's suggested retail price, which on a car will be pretty accurate, maybe a little more than what you would have paid if you were going in buying a vehicle, just Mm -hmm. buying one. But that will be treated as if it's income that you earned. Okay. okay. So you will have to pay tax on it. Mm-hmm. And so depending on how much you make and what percent of your income goes to tax, mm-hmm. you can figure, let's say you're in, just for argument's sake, you're in the 15% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. And they value this at $20,000, just for argument's sake. Yes. You would owe $3,000 in tax. Okay. If you're in the 25% tax bracket, you'd owe $5,000 in tax. Gotcha. So it, I can deal with that. <laughs> yeah, because having wheels like that is great. I, I yeah. had a call once from somebody who won a sports car, mm-hmm. and they were so excited. And then I think they were really mad at me when I told them how much tax they would owe. <laughs> and... In their case, I think they ended up having to just sell the car and pay the tax and pocket the difference. In your case, you should be able to manage that, and then you're driving instead of an auction car, you're Mm -hmm. driving a brand new Sentra. Yes! I'm just ecstatic. I cannot believe it still. (laughs) 
Well, that is really great. And so you won it in a radio station contest? Well, it was a raffle at a um, the grand opening of a museum. Wow. So you were helping out the museum. You bought yeah. that raffle ticket. Mm-hmm. And you were the one who won. Yes. So I did. everybody else helped the museum. You helped the museum, mm-hmm. and you helped yourself to new wheels. Exactly. <laughs> See, it shows the value of being charitable, right? Yes, it does. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> well, good. Well, you enjoy that vehicle, and you got plenty of time between now and when the taxes are due to yes. save up that money and pay that tax bill. Yes, thank you so much for all of your help. Sure, and <laughs> what what great news, and, and I can tell what a kind, sweet person you are. Couldn't happen to a better person to win that vehicle. Jane joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jane, how are you today? I'm fine, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you. You have a dilemma you want to run by me. Yes, I do. Um, I have a credit score through TransUnion of 844, Eight forty-four. Um, yes. Wow. You know that's almost unheard of. <laughs> well, maybe it's not accurate, but that's what they tell me it is. And I have a like store credit cards that I don't use any longer. I had taken them out when I was younger, and my parents wanted me to learn how to use a credit card. And I would like to close them, but I don't want to close them if it's going to hurt my credit score. How many do you have? Probably about five or six. Wow, a lot of store cards. Um, Close half of them. Okay. Because I want you to close half, and then in 60 days, are you a Credit Karma person where you can see your score for free? Um, I am not, but I do know of Credit Karma. If you go and you register there, do it before you close any of them. See what your score is under the Credit Karma formulas, and they give you two different scores. Close two three of them let's see in about 60 days go back to your credit karma and see how many points if any it lowered your amazing 844 mm-hmm. likely will have no impact and then if you want to close more of those go ahead but if you see a meaningful impact leave the rest open okay. usually store cards are of no real benefit and closing them will not cause any meaningful drag particularly if you have as solid a credit standing as you do, and you obviously have several traditional forms of credit now. I do. So I think, I you're, I think you're safe to go for half a loaf. Okay, because I, I haven't used them in a very long time. And so they may not even be a relevant factor in your credit score and credit mix. And this is in that category where you're almost experimental, and that's why canning a couple of them would be the right move to make and then you see if you can just get rid of all of them after you get that 60-day test done you're listening to the clark howard show this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance hey listeners whether you love true crime or comedies celebrity interviews news or even motivational speakers you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue right and guess what now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget. 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thanks for joining us here on The Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. J.D. Power, which originally got its claim to fame from coming up with customer satisfaction rankings on the automobile industry, has branched way out to any of a number of industries, including banking. And I've looked at their new annual rankings, and a couple of things they've discovered is that people like it best when they do virtually all their banking online and by apps and all that, but where you also have the ability, when you need to go in and talk to a human, to be able to do that. So branches have become very insignificant for most people because people go into a branch now, most people, so seldom. And overwhelmingly, the younger somebody is, the more likely they are to do their banking online. And on average, they'll go visit a branch less than even once a month. They're just not important anymore, except occasionally. So for some people, the idea of online banking only, using somebody like Ally or USAA Federal Savings Bank or whatever, it doesn't really work for you, maybe, because of the occasion you need to go into a physical office. But when I look through the J.D. Power survey results, that are done by region over and over and over again, the winners are small, local or regional banks and customer service and overall customer satisfaction. And that trends perfectly with what my bias has been over the years, that you're going to get your best results going with a small local bank. But do you know who really fits the bill perfectly As I read through the J.D. Power report, it's credit unions. Credit unions often don't blanket a metro area. They will typically have a small number of branches. And that is just fine if you're only very rarely ever walking into a branch. The credit union I'm a member of, I'm a member of two. One of them I walked into for the first time in three years, and I do have a checking account with them. It's not just a savings account. The other credit union I'm a member of, I went into once last summer, and I don't remember the last time before that. So much of what we do now is online, on a phone app, whatever, electronic bill pay, you name it, that having the branch network that's extensive, no longer is necessary. And what's so wonderful is the small banks and the credit unions have figured this out with the ATM networks. 
that might tie you to one of those giant monster mega banks with their crummy customer no service. And so you now can use ATMs often anywhere in the country as long as they're part of the network that your small bank or credit union is a member of. So you want superior service, want access to a branch, want better deals, credit unions top of the list, small local banks second. Karen's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Karen. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, bueno, y usted? <laughs> Solamente en español, Laura. Um, we, un poquito. <laughs> so you're headed to where in the Spanish-speaking world? Um, Madrid and Barcelona. Oh, well, you're on, only one's the Spanish-speaking world. Okay. Yeah, the the people in Barcelona kind of frown at the Spanish speakers. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. good to know. <laughs> yeah. How can I be of help with your trip to Spain? Uh, well, we're going there for um, one of my son's soccer teams qualified for some training there. And so um, we're just curious on as far as what type of phones and, and that type of thing that we need to use over there so we can still have internet capability and, and like, you know, for Uber, if they even have Uber over there and that type of thing to get around. How long are you there? Uh, almost two weeks. Ooh, okay. And any chance that you are not in a contract for your cell phone? Um, unfortunately, no, we are in a contract. Okay, so the reason I ask that is the go-to for an international trip is to be with T-Mobile. Because okay, T-Mobile, yeah. yeah. T-Mobile makes use of the service overseas free. Uh-huh. You get unlimited data and unlimited texting, and then calls are twenty cents a minute within whatever country you're in and back to the U.S. So that's not an alternative for you. So mm-hmm. let's talk alternatives. Your phones are they locked to your current carrier? Meaning while you're under contract they restrict that your phone can only be used on them. I'm not sure. I'd have to check that, I guess. Okay. The reason I ask that is that if your phone is or can be unlocked by your cell phone carrier, odds are fairly good that you would be able to use it in Spain. And when you get there, right in airports all over the world, they sell um, SIM cards for tourists. And you pay, okay. typically you pay um, the equivalent of 15 to $30 for one month's use of the cellular network while you're there. You usually get typically a gig of data, which if you're not watching videos or streaming music, will get you through a two-week trip without breaking a sweat. Okay. So I'd love it if you if the phone phones you have would work the other thing is you if a lot of times people will have an old cell phone when they got a new one the old one's still sitting in a drawer gathering dust uh-huh. or a yes. friend or or someone at work or a relative has old phones you uh-huh. just take those and charge them up make sure they hold a charge and when you get to spain just buy the sim card and you can pop it right in oh okay great idea occasionally there'll be a phone that won't be compatible with the worldwide standard called GSM. Um, who is your current cell phone carrier? 
AT&T. AT&T is a GSM carrier. And with them, you can buy a not very well-priced international plan. But you can check before you go and see what they'll charge you and see what the economics of that would be for two weeks versus the other options I mentioned. So all the old phones would have the... We have, have the ability to remove the SIM card from those. Exactly, exactly. But that. if they're older phones out of contract, you still may need to charge them up, go to an AT&T store, and have them unlocked for you. Because okay. AT&T only unlocks them if you ask, if you got them originally from AT&T. Okay. But this will be, I hope I didn't, I hope this all makes sense, because I know it can sound confusing at first. But it's actually pretty easy if you um, follow the steps. And if AT&T's service plan that you can buy for overseas is just not economical for you, you're better off just buying that chip when you get there, the SIM card. Usually they give you the SIM card. They give you the SIM card. You just pay for the service that you're going to buy for those weeks. Okay, and so those would just be for the old phones or... Yes, exactly, because if you're in contract with AT&T, they will not unlock your existing phone. It would only be one of your older ones that they have to unlock under law. They may not like doing it, but they have to, and then you can put in that SIM card that you get overseas. By way way of note, not for you, but for other people, if you have service with Verizon or Sprint, phones that you have with them may not be compatible with overseas cell phone networks. Have a great trip. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jim. How can I be of service to you? Well, I'm in a quandary right now. I'll be 60 this year, and it's, I don't know if it's a great time of life or not. I hope so. You know, I, Investing really throws me for a loop. I don't understand it, and I'm afraid of it, to be honest. We don't have a lot of money, but, you know, I, I, I'm thinking we probably need to do that. And I'm just wondering, first off, you know, how much money do we really want to keep in our savings account to take care of unexpected problems and, like, we need to put a new bathroom in and stuff? But, you know, how much do we want to keep there? How much do we want to invest? And then kind of a direction for that. And also... At the same time, I'm wondering, you know, about the, the possibility of maybe getting a new vehicle. Not new, but, you know, fairly new vehicle. I know you said something about the hybrids were probably a good buy right now, and I might be... Yeah, since nobody other than you wants them right now, they make, that makes them a steal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the neat thing is that even at lower prices, you buy a depressed price used hybrid, and you're getting it at such a deal that you're not paying a premium for having a hybrid, but every tank you save money on the fuel. Uh So on the issue of how much you should have in savings and all that, there is no one formula on it. The most recognized amount of money you should have is the equivalent of four to six months of living expenses. Not income, but living expenses. Okay. Where are you on that right now? Uh, we're, we're, We're in fine shape. We have quite a bit more than that. So you may be too conservative with how you handle money right now, and inflation, as a result, would be your enemy if you're not really 
putting a lot of money into investments. And if the whole process is not your thing, you would be a, a very good candidate to hire what's known as a fee-only financial planner that you pay him or her to handle giving you guidance on your financial planning. It's not about picking and choosing investments. It's about the overall picture okay. of what your goals are, how close you are to meeting your goals, and what things would be best to do to reach those goals with a level of risk that you can sleep well at night with. A lot of people think that when I talk about hiring somebody that you're just saying, oh, you should buy this stock or this fund or whatever. Uh Uh-uh. It's creating the whole picture at age 60. You're at exactly the right time in your life that you should go sit down and talk with somebody who's a fee-only planner. Okay, how do you go? You say fee-only. That I don't understand that part. Okay, so the way it works with investing, traditionally in the United States, you would go see somebody who would recommend how you would handle your finances, and then they would be paid from commissions of the things that they would recommend to you to do to meet those goals. Okay. And there's a direct and I believe fatal conflict of interest when somebody's receiving those commissions, that I believe you're better off going to somebody who is paid by you for advice and receives no commissions on anything that they would advise being how you meet your financial goals so that they're on the same exact page as you. It's just if you went to see a doctor, you pay him or her for his or her services they don't get compensated by the drug company well that's a bad example because sometimes they do get under the table money from the drug companies but that you pay to go see them you go see a lawyer you pay an hourly rate you go see an accountant you pay him or her that you should clearly be paying the person who gives you financial advice too and i have a guide on clark.com how to hire that kind of person but one place i'd have you go is napfa n-a-p-f-a the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors.org, NAPFA.org, because you need somebody to be in an ongoing relationship with. Interview three of those people near you. Eddie's with us. Hi, Eddie. How are you today? I'm the next one, Clark. I love your show. Listen every day. Glad you do. You got a tip for your fellow listener. Well, uh, a while back, my. Monster Megabank notified me that I had some suspicious activity on my credit card account, and I looked it up online, and sure enough, about $2,000 worth of merchandise was purchased from four or five different uh, locations, mostly clothing. I didn't know you needed that whole new wardrobe of clothing. (laughs) Well, I obviously didn't order. I mean, the bank took care of the charges right away without any drama. I was very thankful that they did that, but I wasn't satisfied. I wanted to know who was doing it. I was really mad. So uh, I called some, some of the, the companies where the stuff was ordered from, and the two large uh, chain companies wouldn't give me any information at all. They just said, sorry, we can't give out any, any information. But there was a, a smaller, two smaller stores, like would be in a, a clothing store or a mall, and they were more than happy to give me the information to where the stuff was shipped to. So I looked it up, looked up the zip code, found the county in rural America, where the uh, stuff was shipped to, and I called the sheriff in that county and told them that someone at this address had had um, 
stuff sent to them on my account, and it was fraudulent. So I asked the sheriff if he was familiar with the address, and he said absolutely he was very familiar with the address. In fact, it was the uh, home of a mother of two of his deputies that lived at that address. What? <laughs> yes. So he said, I will send somebody out there right away. I'm very interested in this. I want to know what happened, you know. So he actually called me back, which really surprised me, and said that, sure enough, the it, the purchase material was there, along with several boxes that were delivered by, you know, UPS or FedEx or whatever, to the same address. And the woman that lived there said, yeah, this stuff just started coming in a few days ago. I didn't order it, don't know anything about it. And don't know in the end what really came of it, who really did it. But the sheriff in that town or that, that county was very interested in uh, two of the deputies that worked for him. I got it. Wow, Eddie, I just got to tip my hat to you. That is fantastic because the bureaucrats at these companies just like, okay, so we just write that one off. Next. Right. And, and so the criminals don't suffer consequences. You weren't even though it wasn't costing you a penny you didn't want to take that as an answer and i am so appreciative of you well it's my pleasure and i you know i thank you for all you do every day and keeping us informed about where our money goes well and and i love what an advocate you are for yourself it would be great if people in retail and banking cared as as much as you do about doing something about all the criminal activity involving online activity, online ordering, because we sure would stamp it out a lot quicker if people cared as much as you do. And that sheriff, well, sounds like he was really into it too. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.